Welcome to a very special episode of Film School Sucked, everyone. Um, recently, Becca and I were able to visit Rose City Comic Con over the weekend here in Portland, and we were lucky enough to get a one-on-one interview with David Desmalchin, um, the character actor and now-turned-comic-book writer. Um, for those of you who followed our MCU series, he played Kurt in the Ant-Man movies. He's also appeared in multiple Denis Villeneuve projects. Uh, His first film was a minor role in The Dark Knight, as well as multiple other TV and film projects. He's one of those actors that if you see him in something, you recognize him immediately, maybe not by name, but definitely by performance ability and physicality. So yeah, we sat down with David. We talked about his new comic series for Dark Horse Comics, Count Crawley, Reluctant Midnight Monster Hunter. It is as ridiculous and as fun as you might think, but it is also a really interesting uh, deep dive into analyzing the treatment of women in the workplace, where we get our news, what have you. So it's a very relevant yet fun take on a a horror comedy genre in a comic book form. Um, So we talked to him about that. We talked to him in regards to his work as an actor. He was incredibly gracious, incredibly open, and um, I just want to thank Dark Horse Comics and David for sitting down with us and uh, taking the time out of his very busy schedule to speak. Just a forewarning, um, this was a very last-minute arrangement. We recorded it on the phone. It was in a luckily private room at a very, very, very busy convention center, so there is a lot of background noise and not the best quality, as it usually is, but we had to share it here. Um, be sure to look out for a write-up on my blog and possibly on Screen Rant. Yeah, let's just get it going. Um, we start out talking about his new comic series. All right, okay. here we are. David, thank you for sitting down. Um, so just to jump in first about Count Crawley. Yes. Okay. Just, do you want to talk about that a bit? Kind sure. Of summarize so what's the book? Um, Count Crowley is the story of Jerry Bartman, who is in 1983 a woman who wants to be the first female Walter Cronkite. I mean, she wants to be on the nightly news, digging in and uh, exposing truth to uh, people through the wonder of you know broadcast news. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, when she gets her big break in the big city of. Cleveland. She um, is uh, she's assaulted by the star of the of the the, the news program. And when she goes to tell uh, her employers what's happened, no one believes her, and they think that she's just this overly ambitious liar. And basically, her career is ruined. Um, she's so depressed and devastated. She is basically drinking herself to death. And she's back in her small town where she grew up, where her parents had once run a a small um, TV station that her brother now manages. And her brother, who loves her dearly, and he's basically her last friend in the world, he wants her to live, but he also is trying to keep her employed. And so he offers her the opportunity to take over hosting the weekly creature feature which has been hosted for years by um, a character called Count Crowley. And Count Crowley has stopped showing up for work, the guy who plays Count Crowley. So uh, Jerry steps in reluctantly, is a hit, and discovers on the same night of her first broadcast that monsters are actually real and that um, they live in plain sight 
and they've been around for um, as long as mankind, but they have spent the last few generations um, manipulating the media and they're infiltrating the way we receive our information. So all the information that we think we know about monsters through mythology and um, modern uh, culture is a lie. Um, so Jerry is going to have to either give in and self-destruct and walk away or step up and realize that this mantle for this now vanished Rich Barnes who was the Count Crowley, where is he? What happened to him? And how is she going to learn how to, to fight these monsters? Um, and she's going to hopefully choose um, to help protect us all. Love it. So there's obviously some relevant themes right there, both with the way women are treated in a professional sense in the workplace, but with the conversations we're having with the Me Too movement, um, as well as a re-examination of who's controlling the media, our history books, the stories yes. that we say is history. It was at very important. Why I wanted to set it in 1983 was because um, at that moment in the world, but in the United States, cable was booming. Mm -hmm. It was the beginning of cable. And so this concept of, of, of cable news and being able to go into people's homes through their televisions um, from... Um, you know, all over the country and how much power and influence those those organizations could have, I found to be really um, an exciting subject, yeah. especially in the times that we're living in right now. And um, what's wonderful about monsters, and, 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 and I was inspired um, by the classic monster films. Um, yeah. They had a huge influence on my life and on my art and on the, the writing that I've done and on the kinds of characters that I've wanted to portray and the kinds of stories that I've wanted to tell. But that, what that's meant to me has evolved significantly over the years. So there is the big picture spectrum of this story, which does involve the manipulation of the media, yep. the spinning of fake news, the power structure, how there are monsters in plain sight that are living in our society, but also... On an internal level, the struggle that Jerry's facing with her inner demons as somebody who's an alcoholic, mm -hmm. as someone who has massive depression and shame, um, I find that like the monsters to me served as this perfect representation of fear. And finally, I think what's really important is I, I hope in Count Crowley, Reluctant Midnight Monster Hunter, readers will find um, and agree or at least come to love that there are good monsters as well as bad monsters. I think somebody who's afflicted with the curse of addiction is in many ways like a werewolf where they feel yeah. out of control of themselves when they're exposed to their poison. And if that's the full moon or if that's alcohol or if that's heroin or if that's cocaine or if that's whatever, the exposure to that, um, that trigger and in the world of the mythology of Count Crowley, when she starts to really figure out okay, so this is all a lie. Silver bullets don't stop werewolves. How do we stop a werewolf? It's much harder than we ever imagined. Mm. Wooden stakes won't kill a vampire. How do you kill a vampire? It's much harder than you ever possibly imagined. As she starts to learn those things, the person she learns them from is a gentleman named Vincent Freitz, who was the horror host of the 50s and 60s, mm -hmm. who's now a dementia-addled... Um, octogenarian in a nursing home and when she goes to when she figures out and puts the pieces together that he's going to be her resource for for how to how to how to learn um all that she needs to know turns out he is also a horribly misogynistic um 
you know, uh, were misogynist. Yeah. So he, he, <laughs> he basically says a woman could not be the appointed one. There's no way. We're, we have to find Rich Barnes. He's, he, we need him back, and you're, you should go find a man that can keep you safe and, and protect you. So she's like, and, 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 and Vincent Frights is so of the old school that the ideology, too, is like a werewolf can't be, there's no saving a monster. So the only solution no for there. a werewolf yeah. would be to, for the only solution for lycanthropy is the destruction of, of the, the werewolf or the human that is the werewolf. Whereas Jerry comes to start to believe that maybe there's another way, maybe there's another option, maybe there's another alternative, and she's going to have to learn the hard way in some circumstances that there's not, but possibly sometimes there is. And I feel that way about, I felt that way about myself. I feel that way about everyone that I know in the recovery community and people who struggle with um, mental health issues that um, I don't believe that anyone is um, beyond hope. Um, so there's kind of a, a, a tone. In, there's, I've, I've spoken about a lot of serious things since we started talking, but I also at the end of the day wanted this to be a very fun, oh, and it horrifying comes and exciting yeah. you know, story at the same time. It has a great blend of kind of a comedic black comedy, but also has all those signature horror vibes. Like I could, I could see the creep show and the uh, Tales from the Crypt coming right through it. And obviously that must have been a huge influence for you. Huge. What do, and you mentioned loving those old monster movies. What are some of your favorites? What do they mean to you personally? Yeah, I love the werewolf um, pictures. I, um, I was speaking earlier, so I grew up in, in Kansas City watching Cremation Mortem's Friday Nightmare and sneaking downstairs and turning on the TV, um, you know, around 10.30, 10.45, um, quietly under the blanket like hoping no one would wake up and hear and um and being introduced to so many of those beautifully horrifying but also many of which were incredibly empathetic or sympathetic uh characters you know my heart was just as much broken as my mind was terrified (laughs) by you know oliver reed and curse of the werewolf um, you know, watching The Invisible Man, thinking about, you know, the horror of Dracula and watching those Hammer Dracula films, which yes. Dracula t- took on full embodiment of evil, and yet some of the people that would be cast under Dracula's spell, you felt so much sympathy and empathy for. Um, so there was a huge influence, and um, it's really a dream for me because something about the culture and the entertainment of horror hosts was very special to me mm-hmm. like the idea of when I would watch Cremation Mortem it wasn't just the movie itself it was the commentary about before the jokes the bits that took place in the world around that and then um, and then when I moved to Chicago to start studying acting I, I found uh, Sven Gulli uh, another incredible horror host and then I realized oh my god from Vampira on up there has been so many amazing personalities who found a way to um introduce us all to mm-hmm. these these hormones well crafting something yeah. that's also their own for sure so i think what's great about this is it is an original story it does have elements of inspiration obviously from the real life but it's fully original but there's no denying we are living in quite the age of adaptions reboots retellings what right. have you are there any existing characters properties both in comics or maybe in film that you're interested in either being involved with in some sort of reimagining um, you know, I, I was a big fan, uh, I always have been and I, I, I still am of, um, 
several characters, including Morbius, which yep. they're, Sony's making their film version of that now, so I guess I'll have to wait a while um, until I can get a stab, if you will, at, uh, <laughs> at... And I'm not saying necessarily for me to play Michael Morbius, although I would have that would be a dream role for me. I think I would also love to just, you know, it's such a fun world to play in because mm-hmm. he's such a great anti-hero. I also really, really love um, Werewolf by Night. I would love to see if... Um, thought it would be cool to do um the first horror mcu slash yeah sony whatever that is now i don't know what's happening it's um, kind of a little up in the, the first horror film in that world um mm-hmm. and i just think that there's so many fun things you can do with with werewolf in it those are some of the properties that i love i'm a big huge moon knight fan um and that's and, obviously and, coming soon yeah down the really disney plus pipeline yeah 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 um Oh man, there's so many. Uh, taking all the old eeries and creepy magazines mm-hmm. and comics from the golden age of, you know, horror comics, and I'm trying to bring that into yeah. Well, and it feels it feels like now that a lot of those big bridges with the bigger names, the Captain Americas, the Iron Man, what yeah. have you, are now crossed. That move the movies are starting to get a little weirder, a little more maybe BC or even D level in the comics history does that excite you yeah it does a lot yeah i mean tomb of dracula it's a great comic series i would love to see that come to life um i i I love that uh and and it's the those ancillary characters too that um were always some of the most fun Mm -hmm. so just hopping over to the acting side because there's no denying you're one of the most popular and beloved character actors working today well, At least you. in my opinion, well, thank you. you were one of my favorites. Um, one of your Put earliest that on my business card. There you go. <laughs> there if you I go. had a business card, that's what I would. Be. I'm um, quoting you. One of your earlier films and one of the biggest, for sure, is Dark Knight. My first film. Yeah, that was the first time I was ever on a film set. Yeah. Do you want to speak to that a bit? Just your sure. memories there working with Christopher Nolan. Yeah, um, you know, I, 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 when I moved to Chicago and I studied theater and I became, uh, you know, t- began to take my profession seriously, sadly, I, I also uh, really uh, nearly lost a, a, a very long battle with addiction and, um, and depression. And, and when I finally started to find, uh, to seek out the, the help and do the work needed to climb out from from all of that and to, to live uh, the life that I believe I was meant to live. It was a long process and there were many years where I was you know, ne- not necessarily working a job that I wanted to be working, but I was grateful to have a job and I would spend all my extra cash still at good old comic shop. When I got to Chicago, it was uh, Graham Crackers Comics downtown Chicago and, um, and then all of a sudden through a whole series of incredible events and just continuing to show up and continuing to do what I knew I needed to do as the years went by and, and my sober time added up and um, I finally got back on stage and started acting again. I got the chance to audition for this film, which was going to, you know, who knew, change the history of cinema. Yeah. And, uh, and it was crazy because I auditioned for the bank heist sequence didn't get cast in that was devastated because I believed that I'd lost out on you know my opportunity especially as a lifelong comic book collector who'd been you know so devoted to the the idea of um, the Loeb and like Miller influence on yeah. Nolan's Batman verse had was so influential on me as a creative person um, I was truly devastated but what I'd learned in recovery and what I'd learned in in, in life was being able to allow myself the chance to mourn but then moving on and not feeling sorry for myself anymore so i remember i let myself ride this train to to work i was doing a great production of othello 
and I, I licked my wounds and then I got off the train, I went to rehearsal and I did a four month run of that play and four months later, the week after that play closed, and I didn't know what my next job was going to be on my birthday, I got the call that I was going to be in the dark night, and I was going to be this character, which I didn't have any idea what I was going to do, what I'd be doing, but all the years of reading comics and understanding who the Joker was and what he represented, to me, helped me create a character so that when I showed up, even though I had never gotten to see a script, I had an opinion about yeah. what this might be. And luckily, that opinion clicked with what the director was, I think, hoping to do with that character. And... Uh, and, and, and all of a sudden, I'm standing there on, you know, on, on um, LaSalle in Chicago, six blocks from Graham Crackers Comics, you know, and two alleys away from a place where I used to park the car and sleep when I was homeless. Um, it was, it's hard to put into words. It's, just, it, it's as surreal as it was when I walked on the floor at Comic-Con this summer and I saw a 12-foot high Jerry Bartman, Count Crowley cover for issue one on the wall at the Dark Horse um, booth. My wife and I just lost it. You know, it's nothing like that. That's amazing, really. Um, you've also worked with Denis Villeneuve on Prisoners, and then I believe on Blade Runner twenty forty nine. What is it like to be on his set as opposed to Christopher Nolan? It's every director is different. Everyone is um, has their their there's specificities that make them the unique the unique voice that they are but i will say i've been so fortunate and lucky to work with so many of the best directors working in film right now and um i mean it's really it's really incredible and one common thread i think that 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 unites all of these different directors is their incredible leadership quality and the confidence and the choices that they've made in their ideas and i think I'd follow Denis into a firestorm if he asked me to because he, I, I just trust him so implicitly and he, and he embeds that kind of trust in you as, as one of his um, cast members or anybody on his creative team. Um, and it's also a really loving, joyful place to be because I've been in some dark, dark scenes with Denny. He's yeah. he's killed me pretty horribly, and uh, <laughs> and he seems to really get a lot of joy out of. Uh, I don't know what's wrong. What's we need to call Denis Villeneuve and say, why do you derive so much pleasure from watching me suffer? But he um, he's been a great gift in my life, and he's an incredible human being, and he's also a great friend, and um, and I can tell you that I. Um, I, I just can't wait to sit in a theater with people and look at people's reactions as Dune unfolds oh. because it's going to um, yeah. it's going to be a, a mind blowing uh, experience for people and um, I just I can't wait. Definitely, one more project I want to bring up. Obviously, you have a great little role in Ant Man and Ant Man and the Wasp. Um, both myself and my fiance and our friend. Run a Your podcast. Fiance. My fiance. Yeah, I love it. Um, I just recently got engaged. Congratulations. <laughs> um, Let's make the article about that. There we go. <laughs> David Desmolchin came to celebrate our engagement <laughs> with us. Um, Mazel tov. Thank you. We just recently did a retrospective of the MCU going yes. into Endgame and the Baba Yaga sequence. One of the funniest <laughs> moments not only in the MCU, but in movies that year. Like, yes, it's a story they tell to frighten children. It's the Baba Yaga. You know Baba Yaga? Yes, yes. <laughs> that was it. Wow, yes. perfect. That that made the con. Perfect. I uh, 
I love Peyton Reed so much. Yeah. And I love that he, he, the, the Marvel way is they, they work so hard on these scripts and they get their scripts, you know, so incredible. And then you go to shoot. And then if something is discovered in the moment, they will just go all in yeah. on the, they're not rigid corporate, you know, machinery where it's like, it has to be this and it has to be this. So the, the, the Baba Yaga bit became its own little thing and we had so much fun with it and I'll never forget um, I got to go into Disney at one point and I had just landed so I had my family with me so I was holding my infant daughter my son was running around my wife was there we were plying them with cake pops because Kevin Feige and Ludi Esposito and Peyton were just finishing up the movie the final touches and they had me come in and record the Baba Yaga lullaby like on a mic <laughs> so that they could put it into the for the soundtrack and credit stuff and um and we just we improvised. It was so much fun. Baba Yaga come at night, little children sleepy tight. We made up a bunch of extra ones too that weren't in the movie. Yeah, we, oh my oh gosh. yes, um, Baba Yaga like no Baba Yaga eat your meat. Baba Yaga tickle feet. <laughs> Baba Yaga. Baba Yaga, put in belly. Baba Yaga, she's so smelly. Oh Oh my gosh. Oh wow. I love my day. I I love this. I I miss those guys all the time. And I just. Would you be willing to return for whether a movie, Disney Plus series? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, Kurt is in. um, What if? That's been announced, hasn't Mm -hmm. it? Yes. So, yes, Kurt is back in. The world of what if which was a favorite comic series of mine yes. as a kid and i love the idea of taking they would go you know what if um you know instead of uh, stretching reed richards and the fantastic four all their powers were different or what if howard the duck was the founder of the avengers or what if um you know agent carter with yeah yeah exactly so love I, it. I i got to i've actually yeah it's i'm so excited about that last question myself and my fiance are also both actors. What is your biggest piece of advice that you can give to young performers just getting into the industry and um, facing what seems to be one of the most daunting ones out there? Boy, where do you start, right? (laughs) It's a tough one, but I will say if it's what you really love to do and then you do it because you love it because hitting the the lottery of like we've been very fortunate that we've been able to perform and and make our livings doing it for for a very long time but that didn't just that wouldn't have happened if we hadn't been so dedicated to our love of the craft and so for me it was doing so much stuff just to be doing it in the beginning which included tons of you know short films student films doing work for free putting together ideas putting on sketch shows creating things creating opportunities i think we're living in a time where people can create more opportunities for themselves than ever before and i mean I they have the technology right we have there. the technology yeah. to be creating these opportunities and to be doing it for the love of doing it and doing it because that's the work that will shine the most you know i think that um you're going to put your best face and your best foot forward and your best creative storytelling prowess forward when you're doing the work that 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 makes you happy so um that is that is definitely a big one as well as continuing to like study and train from as many different resources as possible including just reading the good books all you know all all the Stanislavski stuff is so useful to actors and I think that all of the stuff that you can now find online for tutorials and then also finally I think setting goals for for yourself is so vital I think writing them down and committing them to paper is a big and important one and I think that goes to everybody in any you know profession that has a dream of achieving a certain place in that 
whatever it be creative or not I think writing down daily weekly monthly annual goals is really useful and it continues to be a practice that has brought me a lot of um, a lot of rewards I, I it helps me focus and at the same time remember there's a big picture and sometimes focusing on that one thing working really hard towards it I never got that thing mm-hmm. you know I moved to Los Angeles and I have very specific goals for myself and some of them I don't know if I'll ever hit but I work towards them every day and in the meantime that dedication to that goal is caused all these other wonderful things to pop up and yeah happen. So that's that on our interview with David Desmalchin. David, thank you once again for sitting down with us. As you know, follow us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, as well as subscribe to our podcast anywhere where podcasts can be found. Um, Leave us a review and a comment and share with your friends, start a conversation. And thank you for listening, folks. Psych yourself up. We can do this. Ah! Ha! Okay.